Yo, everyone, welcome back to Brand New Techish. I'm Michael Bahane, and I'm joined with the amazing Abadessi Osinsade of Hustle Crew. Well, let's get it cracking. Shout out to Google for Startups for hosting us in their lovely creator studio here in East London today. If you Radio are voice. <laughs> tech and making podcasts, then make sure you hit them up, Google for Startups. So there was, um, I, saw, I saw another tweet. So somebody, this is why you got to be on Twitter. There's so many interesting conversations and, and things that make me like think. It gives me so much food for thought. This is like, my Reddit. Yeah, this is our Reddit, basically. So anyway, <laughs> so somebody said, when I worked at Amazon from 1999 to 2006, Jeff Bezos' favorite interview question was, are you a lucky person? And it was a way to filter for optimists and people who manifest success. Wow. Now, I was so conflicted when I saw that because I was like, yo, that's so harsh. Because if I spoke to people that I know, some of them would be like, no, I'm not a lucky person. My mom's ill, you know, uh, you know, grew up in a single parent household. I grew up in quote unquote the hood. Like, so I guess I'm not a lucky person, right? Um, so I wouldn't blame them for saying they're not a lucky person. But at the same time, I think it is a good heuristic because you do filter for people that are pessimists. A pessimistic person would say, I'm not a lucky. Do you like talk to but, me? What do just, you think? Like, just because you, someone has adversity in their life doesn't mean they they don't consider they themselves themselves lucky, right? Yeah, right. If anything, in that example, someone could be like, and despite all that, I've still been able to achieve right. X, Y, yeah. Z. So actually, yeah. I think I am lucky. Yeah, and I think the why it works because the person who views himself as lucky, even if they don't, their circumstances are not great, will end up seeing opportunities and and yeah. and the upside in things. And so much about how success is your mindset, and so much about success is also just like yo. The like, difference between a good day and a bad day is perspective. Yeah, I mean there are some objectively bad days, but yeah, I, and I can remember a few of them. But like, yeah, I know what you mean. So. If someone asked that to you, what would you have said? Would you have been like... I'd be like, I'm the luckiest girl <laughs> Look at me. She's so lucky. I'm friends with Michael. I'm the luckiest girl <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it, it's actually a really interesting thing because I, I have a lot of conversations with myself. I have for like... a Honestly, since I was a little kid, I used mm. to spend a lot of time alone. So hung out with myself. Lona. <laughs> and um, I often have conversations about how blessed I, I am and mm. how lucky I am. And I... I I'm thankful every day to God, the universe, the world, whatever, because, you know, even though we're all individuals listening from different places and different countries, each of us know strife, mm -hmm. you know, each of us know challenges, each of us know hardship. And my brain and my, my being is one that reflects on times of hardship with a deep sense of gratitude mm. that I could survive mm. and, and, you know, live to tell the tale. Like just as an example, I was thinking about how this time last year I was in San Francisco, like launching alpha, working with a new team team and things were like so intense in my life and I was just like I remember. you know I would love to be back in London with my friends with my family I'd like to be back running hustle crew independently and thinking mm. of all those things and there was a moment when I thought it couldn't happen and then you know thank god it all did and it all worked out and for all of those reasons I always just think wow I am lucky because there's a time when I'm like how am I going to get through this and yeah. then a few weeks or months later I got through it and I'm like hallelujah yeah. so I, I I feel like I am I am lucky and I think related to this is the point you made positive people create good things yeah because they just see good things and also positive people Look for the good in people. And I don't mean that in like a naive way because we, of course we have to trust our intuition. And of course, you know, I love that Maya Angelou quote, when people show you who they are, believe, believe them. them. Right? Yep. I am a big believer in that. But at the same time, if you walk into every scenario mm. in a negative way, you're not even fun to work with. Yeah, that's real talk. And I had to unfollow a whole bunch of people on Twitter that I really admired and are really super smart, but they kept just tweeting about the what's wrong in the world and what's what's like, you know, systemic oppression. And I got love for that because part of my work is that, you know what I'm saying? And and it's important to highlight, but it was too much because I was like just 
I just thought like let me let me some let me follow some people. Let me try and experiment and follow people that are talking about what they're doing proactively. Do you know what I'm saying? Whether that's within um, social justice work or whether that's even just within entrepreneurship. And I felt a bit happier. I'm not going to lie. I felt yeah. more positive. I felt like, all right, cool. We can do this kind of thing. Um, and that's something to be mindful of your influences and what you're taking in. The uh, other thing I'll say though, the only challenging thing about this point of bound being lucky is we're living in a time where many people identify with imposter syndrome. Yes. Like particularly people in competitive industries like ours, particularly people yeah, yeah. who are entrepreneurs. And it's also important to often remind ourselves that luck is just one part of success 100% yeah because to be lucky you need to create opportunities where luck can come to you right and if you're not doing that work then you can't be lucky do you see what I mean like often when we think of luck we just think of it being completely accidental and and random but actually I think lucky people are also people that are working and operating in such a way that lucky things can happen to them yeah I think there is value in reading books like you know the seven habits of highly effective people and yada yada because there is a a modicum of truth that positive mindset is powerful obviously these books are very politically naive like they, they and they're very middle class centric in the sense of like if you just work hard you can do it and it's like Ooh, guys listen sure brad yeah like it's not that easy right <laughs> there's, there's there's barriers and i don't want to downplay the barriers that people have in their lives right um but is it better to have a positive mindset yeah <laughs> that's 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 all i can say like that is you know that's facts yeah and i and i i i there's a lot of research out there that i have read around neuroplasticity around you know, the neurons that fire in our brain, certain patterns of thought, certain patterns of thinking, it is definitely possible to go from feeling like you're not a lucky person to feeling like you are a lucky person if you are willing to do the work and invest in yourself. And and whether it's therapy, coaching or whatever, that journey is possible. If you're looking for a new start, check out Pocket Jobs. That's P-O-C-I-T-J-O-B-S dot com. Pocketjobs.com. It's a career platform for people of colour in the tech industry looking to level up. It's used by tons of startups, non-profits and large tech companies looking to find amazing candidates of colour for the tech roles. Link in the show notes. So there's a, I don't know where the data is from, but actually, so people are looking at young people and their behaviour. This is US ninth grade, so 14 to 15 year olds. Mm -hmm. There's been a massive decline in people that have ever drank alcohol, people that have ever tried cigarettes, Mm. people that have ever had sex at that age, people that have ever used marijuana, Mm. people that watch three hours plus on TV. But there is a massive increase in the number of people that play video games Mm. at least three plus hours a day. So some people are like, Fortnite is now the anti-weed, anti-sex, anti-TV, anti-alcohol, anti-smoker solutions parents have been seeking for decades. (laughs) (laughs) So... Is this a positive or a negative? I know most of those behaviours are pretty much a negative, like cigarettes, alcohol, marijuana. Mm. But I'm worried that it's actually telling of something else, which is that we're now raising more people that are more risk adverse, that have less real world experience, that are more prone to just like staying Mm. indoors. But I guess watching TV is staying indoors. I don't know. What do you think? I think what we're seeing is a, a correlation between government efforts to change behaviours. Right. And we're seeing the result of that. If I think yeah. of countries like the UK, Australia, even in America, there's been heavy, heavy restrictions against advertising tobacco yeah. over the last few years. And there's also a conversation to be had around toxic masculinity right. and like certain behaviors. behaviors that are driven by a hyper-masculine way of being that comes from patriarchy you know, the Marlboro man was literally like bro on a friggin' horse with mm, a cowboy hat, yeah. chain smoking Marlboro Reds. So 
I think we're, you know, we have more information now than we did before. And they are a digital first generation. So they have grown up with a connotation that cigarettes are bad, alcohol makes you do stupid things, mm. sex is kind of scary actually because a lot of them are discovering sex through pornography and that's like a whole nother kettle of fish like there's like a lot of young men who are reporting erectile dysfunction and stuff like that right um but yeah i think i actually think it's a positive thing like i mm -hmm. i we always have to remember that we're always analyzing the younger generation with an outdated framework because we're whatever, no longer young. Yeah. We are no longer young. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So just because they're doing less of the stuff we did and, and spending more time playing video games doesn't mean we're creating risk averse hermits. If anything, right. maybe we're just creating like more self-aware, higher consciousness individuals that want to live forever. I think that is like the the positive interpretation. I don't I don't I don't doubt that. I, I don't know what's true. I want to hear I'm, from you. Are you young? If you're Gen Z, in the fourteen to fifteen, I hope you haven't got any fourteen year olds listening because I swear <laughs> quite a lot. <laughs> but there's nothing know. they haven't heard before. Yeah, it's true. I don't know. I, I'm I'm not convinced that it's necessarily the positive sign that you think it is. I mean, as a parent, if I was a parent, I would be pleased that my child, more times than not, is not going to be you know partaking in most of these activities. Uh, but I don't think anything is a hundred percent positive, and I think everything's a trade off. And I think there are trade offs where I think people who are growing up now at this young age probably are a bit more fragile probably are less less risk prone i don't know I, i've seen it every in generation thinks that the generation after them is more delicate why why is I, that there is an element of truth to that in a sense i remember being in school and my teacher was saying to her to, her, to me like oh like our generation like we knew how to kind of survive in the woods like and, it, my, and her, yeah, par and her parents were better challenge. than that absolutely right absolutely but like if you put me in the woods i'll be baffed and if you put my children in the woods they're gonna even be more even lost like i don't know I'm, the, right. the threat to human life in the 21st century goes way beyond mm -hmm. a bear in the woods right now. Yeah, that's We true. are talking about digital life, social media, mental health challenges. Mm -hmm. We're talking about people struggling with their own identity, being bullied, being excluded, committing suicide. Yeah. The world is not necessarily safer uh -huh. now uh -huh. than it was before just because there's high-speed internet and kids don't have to learn how to start a fire with two sticks. They're, yeah. they're dealing with their own unique threats to their lives. That's a bad example. I, I'll take that back. But do, so you've worked with young people. Yeah. Are you telling me you haven't seen a, a decline in like social acuity? I have seen it. Like I've looked at, they, they, they can't even look you in the eye. They can't. A lot of them can't. I'm keeping it real. can't look me this, the <laughs> this is massive generalizations. Obviously, not every child is like this. 14, 15. But I've just seen a decline. I just don't remember. Anyways, I'm sounding like the old fogey now, innit? You are. I'm the old fogey. Hashtag tech Am I completely the wrong? The people I meet are incredibly impressive. I, I they're, they're incredibly impressive. They, they astound me. They're interested in stuff. They're curious about stuff. They are less ashamed about things than I was. Mm. Um... I feel that every generation there's higher consciousness and you know, we, we can't compete with that. We can't even think like that. And we have to be very mindful of that. I do agree with you there. Every generation, there is a higher consciousness in the sense that if I look at like the tone and energy of my father and then probably comparing that to his father, mm. there was, we were less, each generation has got more comfortable with we're like their emotions, not even that, but even with like, we're more comfortable with like, I'm probably much more comfortable with my emotions than my dad was. And he's probably much more comfortable with his emotions than his dad was, right? Mm. And that's a good thing. And I'm sure the previous gen next generation is even better. So, Bob Iger stepped down from Disney after quite a, an amazing run. Like, just to give the backstory. 
under his watch, they bought Star Wars, they bought Pixar, they bought Marvel. They've now created some of the biggest box office films of all time. Baby Yoda. They, they started Disney+. Plus. Whereas before they were in a quite a precarious position where Netflix seemed like they were the disruptor and, mm-hmm. and all these other old school media companies were kind of done out here yeah. or at least on the verge of being done out mm-hmm. here. So they've now created Disney Plus. They've got Netflix on the back foot. Um, they went and done a lot of the live action. So they went back into their back catalogue and they did live action Aladdin, live action Beauty and the Beast. Some of it hit and miss, but, it's, but a lot of it is made. Mulan coming out. Mulan coming up, right? Mulan. So this Woo. is all under Bob Iger's watch and now he stepped down. Bobby, where uh, yeah. you going? Yeah, he's. I think he's going to work more under the creative... Um, side of the company now um, oh, okay. yeah. so he's still there yeah he's still there but not not CEO anymore um, but what I would say is to me the lesson of it is that M&A mergers and acquisition is like so important especially for these kind of like existing companies like you're not going to be able to innovate in-house once you're a big giant company with you know billions of dollars and thousands of employees mm. you're better off just acquiring it and bringing it in-house and he probably might have to go down as like one of the best M&A guys I've seen for a long time because think? he brought Marvel, Star Wars, and Pixar. Yeah, yo, we, they got the whole wheel, and, <laughs> and Fox now. They bought Fox as well. That's true. So shout out to him. Like benefited um, from timing as well. Yeah. In what sense? What do you mean? Well, I just feel that there are certain periods of time when those production companies made huge bets that didn't pay off. Right. Yeah. So they were like financially vulnerable yeah, yeah, slash yeah, yeah, yeah. more open to yeah. you know basically being acquired. Yeah, and you got to realize, so Instagram got sold for a billion. Star Wars, the entire intellectual property of Star Wars went for four billion. Mm. They probably made that back within a couple of years. Each Star Wars movie has done about two billion, let mm. alone the toys, the merch, the IP, the, the TV series. Like it's, it's, Lego it's a, partnership. The Lego bro. partnership. It's a cash cow. Like <laughs> So I aspire to that kind of level of M&A one day, God willing. But like... um yeah, I think we just have to be honest. Like once you've reached, like even Facebook, for example, they had to acquire all of their innovation. But why do you think that is? Because that's the more interesting question. Not just the fact that it is the case, but right. why it is the case. Because that's where the learning comes from for entrepreneurs as they're thinking of their businesses or even managers within yeah. these big corporates. What What is it that happens after a certain period of time or yeah. amount of scale where you just can't do that anymore? So I think it has to do with the size of the team. I think there's a reason why like military units are very small. But I think once you increase the what's the Dunbar's number I think it is so Dunbar 150 so Dunbar's number was a I think he was a scientist who basically postulated that humans could only really have 150 close social friends yes. and then once that number scales up it's impossible to maintain the network because you'd imagine like so Abedesi knows me I know Abedesi's partner Abedesi's partner knows me and he knows my partner for example like there's so many permutations that once you get past to 150 it's yes. impossible for everyone to kind of keep track of who's who and understand each other and I think innovation thrives in smaller groups. It just does. And once you get bigger, there's bureaucracy, there's That's politics. It. It's the agility. Yeah, there's, there's no agility, there's bureaucracy. It becomes, there's a lot of people that are now just like the company person. They're just there Middle because management. of their Middle management. You Oof. get a lot of like, uh, you know, sign this off, sign it off. No, we can't do that. Process, um, just kills it. And kills also innovation. there's a, there's a, a natural, pro- I think it's called the innovator's dilemma, which is that sometimes to get to where you need to go next, you have to destroy what you're doing now. Ooh right and that's very difficult you don't want to cannibalize your existing business so that's why sometimes you need a smaller company that has no existing infrastructure that can be like well we don't mind cannibalizing your business because we've got nothing so and that's the opportunities for startups that's why startups exist either a big company will get taken out by a small startup and they themselves will become the big company or the big company will say listen we need to bring this in-house because we can't innovate to that level if you could acquire any company to right grow now. your company. Woo! Now we're or talking. Or help you expand into new verticals, whatever. Oh, you put me on a new spot, you know? That's amazing. You that's what a, you, that's what a very good question. I haven't got an answer that's any of any real intelligence because I've never really thought about <laughs> it. To be honest, though, there was a company um, that has recently shut down. I'm not going to name it. Um, and they were doing something similar. Um, it was to do with DNI. Um, diversity uh, and inclusion. Yeah, diversity and inclusion. Um, 
and they shut down for whatever reason. I think they raised a couple million and it didn't work out for them. Um, shout out to them. And uh, I was seriously interested in going up to them and saying, can I buy what you guys have done? Because just because you haven't been able to make it work because you know, you're not going to give your VCs the, the optimal return. Maybe there's something there that I can use for my existing custom base. And I guess I'm now at the level where I'm thinking in that kind of, those kind of chess moves essentially, mm, right? Smart. Um, but I'm such a bootstrap founder and I'm such a like, still at a small stage of a company I'm not even thinking about who would I acquire right mm. so I, I, I'm very much more used to thinking about if I was Facebook who would I acquire if I was this company oh, yeah, who would I yeah. acquire right or who would you like to be acquired by or who would I like to be acquired by that's a whole other conversation I can't say that <laughs> check out Abadesi's Hustle Crew Hustle Crew is on a mission to make the tech industry more productive and inclusive through talks training and mentorship link in the show notes well, the next topic I want to talk about I saw a funny ass tweet another tweet um Someone says, I'm applying. So when you're applying for your MBA, you say, I'm going to build microfinance for orphans in Kenya. During your MBA, you say, I'm going to build a creative travel experience for millennials. After your MBA, I'm a product manager at Facebook. So essentially, yeah. <laughs> it's basically breaking down the steps of being a sellout. Now, joking. It's basically breaking down the steps of when you reality hits and you're like, you know what? I want to do this thing. It sounds cool. Then you're like, oh, I got these bills and I got these student loans. So then afterwards, you're literally just like, I'm just going to take the most economically safe job possible. What does it say to you, though? Because there isn't a complete modicum of truth here. I've looked around and I've known so many people that were going to change the world, they were going to save the world, yeah. and now they're at Goldman Sachs. Like, you I can't really. Why you need to do an MBA to build microfinance for orphans in in Kenya? But yeah, I mean, I totally get this. I went to LSE. Yeah. And talk you know, about it. In the, well, in the economics program, everyone was like, myself included, like, oh, I'm going to work in macroeconomic development. Yeah. I'm going to help emerging economies, you know, achieve hyper growth and mature and all this kind of stuff. I mean, in my case, the recession happened and I was like, oh, shit. I got to pay these bills. Yeah. And I also think it's a it's like a lack of understanding, not only of the ecosystem that we're operating in, but also in terms of like what of our own skills we want to leverage. Yeah. Because the reality is, you know, it's it's that challenging balancing act of what are the opportunities out there where I can apply my my skills? You right. know, what are the opportunities where my skills are valued at mm-hmm. a price I'm happy with? And then also like, you know, where it aligns with my values. And I think when we're really young, before we are beaten up by the cold hard reality of capitalism, yeah. we are very I- idyllic and we're very values driven because yeah. we aren't really fending for ourselves. Yeah. We're kind of still kids. We live at home, if we're lucky, or whatever. Some kind of care, some kind of pastoral system. Even university is a bit like... It's a fake still world. Babied, yeah, right? still, you're still babied. And then boom, rent, yep. debt, landlord, bills, yep. whatever. And then it's like, oh, snap. And unfortunately, capitalism doesn't really like optimize for impact-driven jobs, right? It doesn't. The, the highest paid people in the world actually are the ones that are kind of screwing the economy over. Yeah, ironically. literally. It reminds me of a, a quote from Nassim Taleb. He basically said, you're successful if you can look in the mirror um, not and, <laughs> and, not, and not offend the person who you want to wear at 18. So if your 18-year-old self would look at you now, how would they look at you? Would they say, okay, you know what? This person is kind of, you know, what I aspire to be, what I wanted to be. And he says 18 because that's just before you let life corrupt you. Mm. That's just before you're like, you know what? I want to have have an impact but i prefer fine dining with my friends i don't want to be the one left out right or when i look at instagram i want to be there in mexico too you know turning up and whatnot so it's hard um 
And I think that is a good benchmark for success. And I try as my try my best to kind of live up to that. I think yeah. my eighteen year old self would be like, uh, you kinda of compromised here. Yeah. Uh, you're not as you know what I'm saying. But, but at the same time I'm still I still would have an element of being like, No, nah, you, you did all right. Yeah. Because compared to what I could have been, like I, I went to UCL and for my masters and everyone around me was like just clamoring to get into banking. Mm. Like clamoring. And they looked at me like I was insane when I was like, I wanna be an entrepreneur or try, at least try. They're like, What? Are you dumb? Even being in a junior, <laughs> even even trying to be a junior engineer at a startup, they were like, mm. But fam, look at the salaries like are you what's that yeah. gonna get you compared to Goldman Sachs or, or JP? Like we're you, back to cash versus culture. Exactly right, but that's yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, it's not necessarily. It wasn't even a culture thing. I saw startups as a kind of an education to becoming my own my own business person, essentially. Right. So that but was my that's path. Valuing flexibility right. over maximizing your earnings. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, Whereas they're happy to sacrifice flexibility in order for to economic security. Earnings. Economic security. You can't even mm. get mad at it. I mean, like you said, once you start getting the landlord knocking yeah. on your door, you're like, yo, fam, this ain't. Saving the world ain't what, it's, ain't what it's crept up to be. One thing I'm thinking of, though, is whether sellout is a trope, like a harmful trope. Because yeah. in some ways, systems of oppression succeed by making you feel like they're not systems of oppression. Right. They, they succeed by making you feel like it's just the natural order of things. It's the way it's always been. And, you know, capitalism oppresses people that don't have capital. If you say sellout, uh-huh. right, it's almost like you are criticizing someone for trying to succeed within the rigidity of capitalism yeah you know what i put sell out in the show now it's just to spark a conversation but i, I, no, I don't but like i've heard people you, say that yeah, yeah i think like t- we do say that kind of stuff we do say i mean uh to me a sellout is somebody who is offending their spirit every day so what i mean by that right. is if you wanted to work up as a, if you wanted to be a product manager at facebook and you're a product manager at facebook god bless you you're happy with that i'm not saying the role per se means you're a sellout but if you're somebody who, who had other aspirations mm. and you actually think oh you know what this company's not doing the best thing for the world and you're there every day doing something that you don't necessarily believe in just for the cash for the for the check then you know maybe you'd have to kind of <laughs> you know look a bit harder in the mirror right like i know people that you know make a lot less than you know the product manager at Facebook, but they skip to work because they're like, listen, like I enjoy what I do and I know that I'm doing something that I, c- I can, I can be proud of. Like, right. Um, but it's difficult. I love that. I'm not calling any techish listeners as a sellout. If you work at Facebook or any of these companies, God bless you, do your thing, man. I'm, I I'm, wanna be a sellout. <laughs> if being a sellout is how I get rich. Yeah, for Ride real. on a yacht with Rihanna. So tell me out. <laughs> so Dear listeners, that brings us to the end of another episode of Techish. You know what to do. Use the hashtag Techish to jump into the conversation on Twitter. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Techish, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. Peace.